Ecclesiastes 11. Hopefully, Lord willing, time willing, we'll be able to do that, which puts us in good shape to finish up Ecclesiastes 12 next week. Now, as we're getting to the end here of Ecclesiastes, it's almost difficult to remember the beginning of the book. The beginning of the book started so dark, so depressing. The verse is about, I wish I was never born. Better to be a stillborn child than to be born into this world. And he walked in this darkness and this depression. But as you see the book developing, you're starting to see him get a little bit clearer picture here of the Lord moving and working. Now, with that being said, remember our two words that we've talked about a lot here in our book in Ecclesiastes. The first one is vanity. Some of your translations say meaningless or useless. He looks at the world and he says, everything is meaningless. It's all useless. I work all day, then I die, and somebody else takes what I did. He even says here in the book of Ecclesiastes, he goes, I don't even know about what happens here after death. Please remember this book is written from the perspective of a man who knows the truth. This man is not an atheist. He believes in God. But yet at the same time, he's not where he's supposed to be spiritually. So this book is a collection of what mankind thinks and dark times in life. There's another phrase that he uses a lot called under the sun. And when you see the term under the sun, it carries that idea of what's going on on this earth. Under the sun. That the only thing you have on this earth is to eat, drink, and be merry because what else happens after you die? This book is not necessarily the book that you're going to base all your theology off of. But this is a book that you're going to say, Lord, you've given us a glimpse into the mind of somebody who's struggling. Maybe you've been in that position. Maybe you're working with somebody, living with somebody, knows somebody's in that position. Hopefully this book is a blessing to be able to give a glimpse into what they're going through. And then to remember what Romans says in Romans 15. God has got a hope. That he gives us hope in this dark time. So with that being said, we're picking it up here in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We finished last week with doing verses 18 and also verse 1 of chapter 10. So we're starting in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, starting right there in verse 2. Well, we'll do the first half of verse 1, excuse me, second half. It says, A little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom, and he shows to everyone that he's a fool. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offenses. Now here's a theme in the Bible, this idea of being a fool and being wise. Let's just remind ourselves on a couple of these words what they mean. Wisdom. Wisdom is God's way of handling a situation. So anytime you see the word wisdom, you're thinking about, well, how would God want you to handle it? Not the way the world wants you to handle it, not the way you think you should handle it. Wisdom is God's way of handling it. Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, who also wrote the book of Proverbs, deals a lot with wisdom. A lot of wisdom. I was doing some looking up on this. And and the word wisdom is mentioned 49 times in the book of Proverbs. And the word wisdom is mentioned 25 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Those are the two most often books in the Bible where wisdom is mentioned and both written by Solomon right there. So he's saying wisdom, knowing how God wants you to handle it. And now he uses this word fool or folly. Now you have to know your Bible bad words. One of the harshest words you can use in the Bible is to call somebody a fool. That's one of the harshest words. Now, if you think about that today, we don't look at that word as being too insulting. We don't. There's a lot of other words that we'd make a list of that we think are pretty insulting. But from a biblical standpoint, if somebody would call you a fool, that's one of the worst things they could say. It probably summed up perfectly in Proverbs where it says, The fool says in his heart that there is no God. 
So the most foolish thing you can be is to ignore what God has to say. So when you see these words like fool in verse 2, and you see fool again in verse 3, and you're going to see folly later on, verse 1, those are pretty harsh words from that biblical standpoint. Because if wisdom is doing what God wants you to do, being a fool is not doing what God wants you to do. And so what Solomon is trying to say here is this. If you're a wise man, it's at your right hand. Anytime you see right hand in the Bible, that denotes strength. Anytime you see left hand in the Bible, verse 2, it denotes weakness. And that's an ongoing theme throughout the Bible. So on your right hand is wisdom, strength. On your left hand is foolishness, weakness. Which one are you walking in? Are you walking in the wisdom of the Lord? Or are you walking in the foolishness of your own heart? See, verse 2, he shows everyone that he's a fool. Fools will reveal that they're a fool in time. They will. You know this. You run into somebody at work and you're thinking, yeah, this guy's not going to work out. In time, what's revealed? That that guy didn't work out. See, this is probably one of the things I struggle with in life is I see something, and I'm not saying in some deep spiritual knowledge, but you see something, you're like, yeah, this is not going to work out well. But the Bible says, let time reveal that this person is a fool. That is really difficult to do. Because sometimes people come in and they look good and they sound good. But as time goes on, it reveals where their spiritual walk with the Lord is. Counter that, 1 John 2.19. If you're a note taker, you can write down 1 John 2.19. The Bible says they started out with us, but they did not finish with us because they were not of us. Time reveals where your heart is with the Lord. So if I get a snapshot of somebody right now, and I say, well, look at them. They're, they're serving. They're worshiping. They're praying. They're quoting. They're marking down verses. That's one snapshot at one time. Judas looked really good for three years. Time reveals. Now, to the flip side is, I've had some people that I've met over the years. Now, when I first met them, they did not impress very much spiritually. And then as time goes on, you saw the depth of their walk and how they grew and went deeper in their walk and relationship with Christ. Time revealed a strong heart in the Lord, and time reveals a foolish heart as well. That's hard. That's really difficult. I had a situation just recently where time revealed someone's heart, and I really was hoping for more. You really were expecting more. And time revealed. And it really kind of hurt. And then after a while you stopped and you realized, well, Lord, thank you. You revealed that this person is not the person we were hoping and expecting it to be. Time revealed that. And that's exactly what you see right here in verse 3. He shows everyone that he is a fool. And what does a fool do? A fool just runs away. What does a fool do? Reveals who they are. Verse 4, if the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post for conciliation pacifies great offenses. What a strange little verse thrown in there. What it's saying is this. What's a fool going to do? Immediately react. What's a fool going to do? Fly off the handle. No, verse 4, you stay by your post. You finish the task. I keep thinking what Paul wrote. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. How many times in life, in our foolishness, have we just said something we shouldn't have said? Maybe we walked off a job site. Maybe we got angry and did something because in that immediate reaction, it was foolishness. What verse 4 is saying, no, 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 no. Stay your post. Stand your ground. Because that's what a fool does. And you're not a fool. We're walking in wisdom. The problem is, in the world we live in, 
Foolishness seems to be exalted. Look at verse 5. There's an evil I've seen under the sun. Once again, under the sun. He's looking at this earth, not a heavenly, eternal perspective. As an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is in great dignity, while the rich sit in lowly place. I've seen servants on horses while princes walk on the ground like servants. What is he saying right here? He's saying this, folly is exalted. In this world we live in, we exalt people that are biblical fools. And in this world we live in, people that are rich, verse 6, we're not talking about riches of wealth, riches of wisdom and knowledge. And verse 7, princes, we're not talking about royalty, but from a spiritual perspective, these wise princes, these rich and wisdom people are considered nothing. They're considered lowly. While the world exalts fools. Listen, we could sit here and give example after example after example on how this world honors Supposed entertainment celebrities that are fools. How they honor sports figures that make an unbelievable amount of money. My boys were watching a game the other day, and they asked us a question. They mentioned somebody's contract. They said, Dad, how much is that guy making? I said, he makes $20 million. They said, $20 million. What, Like what? I said, he makes $20 million a year. To do what? To play football. <laughs> and they're like, they play football every day in their backyard. No one's giving them $20 million, you know? We, we, and I, we honor fools. That's what we do. We, we worship at the ground of fools. Anything they put online, be it any type of social media, we just eat it up, and they're fools. There's no wisdom of God there. Solomon's got it right. We give fools dignity, and we make servants ride on horses. But really, those rich in wisdom sit in lowly places, and those princes walk on the ground like servants. We got this world completely backwards. And the world's going to keep getting worse. And there's a reason why when you go read the book of Revelation, the Lord says, I have to come back and clean house. He did it once already with the flood. He says, I just got to start over. It's gotten so bad. And he promised us he would never flood the earth again. So what he does in the book of Revelation says, I'm going to personally come back. I'm going to personally come back and rule and reign for a thousand years to set this right. Just be careful, guys. Do not honor the fool. And do not take those rich in wisdom and make them lowly. Make sure you have the right biblical perspective on what God honors before you honor anything else. Any quick questions, comments about any of the first part here? He's setting the tone for foolishness versus wisdom. All right, moving on then. You may say then, life is unfair. We're honoring fools when we should be honoring the wise. And we're putting down the wise when we should really be putting down the fools. Solomon says, I agree with you. Verse 8, life is unfair. He who digs a pit will fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. He who splits wood may be endangered by it. That's the truth. We live in a world where life is unfair. You're going out to try to do something good and something bad can happen. This is a perfect example. Verses 8 and 9. You're trying to dig a pit. You fall. You're trying to work on a house. You go through a wall. There's a serpent that bites. You're moving stones around. Verse 9. You drop one on your toe. You're splitting wood. And next thing you know, the axe hits you. Life's unfair. We hear reports all the time. Here's this good, hardworking man going to the job to work to provide for his family. Life's unfair. He gets in the accident. This is this foolish world that we live in. So how are we supposed to handle it? Verse 10, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. Wisdom brings success. What a strange little verse right there. What it's saying is this. This life is unfair. We exalt fools when we shouldn't. 
We honor fools when we shun it. How are we supposed to handle it? Verse 10, you're supposed to handle it with wisdom. Wisdom is knowing God's way of handling a situation. So therefore, if the axe is not sharp, what are you supposed to do? Use wisdom. You sharpen the axe. You take a dull axe out there, what do you have to do? You have to use more strength. If you choose here tonight to walk in the foolishness of the world, you are using a dull axe, verse 10, and it's going to take you a lot longer to learn life lessons. Just think about this for a second. If you decide to walk in the foolishness of the world, God still loves you. That's grace. But you're going to get yourself in so many situations and problems that you're using the dull axe. Why would you keep putting yourself back in that situation again and again and again? I think of that passage where it says, just as the dog returns to the vomit. That's foolishness. And what he's trying to tell you here in verse 10, don't use the dull axe, sharpen it. Wisdom brings success. If you look at your life right now and you say, why is it that I keep falling into the pit? Are you walking according to the wisdom of the Lord? Are you walking according to the wisdom of the world? Are you a fool? Are you wise in the eyes of God? Sharpen the axe, bring success, do it God's way. Don't get yourself in trouble. Now, how do we get ourselves in trouble mostly? Probably words. This is the next example he uses. How words will get you in trouble. Dustin, we're going to use that slide now. Verse 11, a serpent may bite when it's not charmed. The babbler is no different. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness. The end of his talk is raving madness. A fool also multiplies words. No man knows what is to be. Who can tell what will be after him? The labor of fools wearies them, for they don't even know how to get to the city. He's talking about one of the greatest ways you see foolishness in the world is in your words. I just went through Proverbs, and and there are literally so many good verses, you have to stop and just say, which ones do you want to share or not share? These are four that I just picked. A fool and his words. Let's just look at this real quick. Proverbs 21, 23. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Has your mouth ever got you into trouble? If so, congratulations, the Bible says you're a fool. Now, God still loves you. But what we're having right here is guarding your mouth and tongue will keep your soul from trouble. I don't know how many times over the years I've heard people say, I don't know why it is I keep finding myself in these situations. Maybe your mouth gets you in those situations. Maybe we need to stop back and say, I need to guard my mouth and tongue. You know, we're going through the book of James for small groups, and we just did chapter 1. What a beautiful verse. Swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Think of the simplicity of that verse. Swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. How much better would our life go if we would just use less words, probably? Guarding our mouth and tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You've heard me use this example before. You learned it in kindergarten. Sticks and stones may make my bones, but words will never hurt me. I just want to let you know it's a big lie. Words hurt. They hurt awful. I would rather have a bone broken by somebody who loves me rather than somebody attack me with words, because those words register in your mind. And as much as you try to forget those words, the enemy is really good at bringing those words back up again and again and again. If you grew up any type of dysfunctional, dysfunctional homes, you know the power of words. If you are married to somebody who uses words as a weapon, you know the power of words. Maybe you work with somebody, you have a coworker, a boss that likes to berate people. You know the death of words. But at the same time, Life is in the power of the tongue. Life. 
We can use words that encourage, that are edifying. I'm not talking some baloney positive reinforcement. I'm talking about the life of God's word in the scriptures. The power of that. The power of it. One of my boys is a very unique young man that is very rambunctious sometimes, has no fear, does not think through things sometimes clearly. And we love him. And his little personality sometimes drives us a little crazy. That personality of just, I'm going to go. I'm not going to think it through. I'm just going to go. His heart, I believe, is pure. Now, some of you may say, James, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Well, maybe your kids' hearts are deceitfully wicked. Mine are pure. I'm just telling you right that. I believe his intentions are pure. He just doesn't think it through. That used to really frustrate us. And then we started realizing the power of the tongue. We were constantly on him. And I started realizing, wait a second, Lord. This little personality that you gave him, that he has no fear, and he just goes, that that is going to really help him later on in life. Now, granted, he has to learn self-control. He has to learn limits. He has to learn to let the Spirit lead. But he has no fear. He's the one that if we as a family ever go walk around and hand out tracts and do some type of witnessing, he has no fear. He goes up to these people, he hands them the tract, and he just wants to tell them about Jesus Christ. There's no fear. We went last uh, Resurrection Sunday, last year, and we went to Bowling Green Campus. We just felt led as a family to go around and just hand out tracts and just you know talk about what Resurrection Sunday meant. This kid was going up to college kids in their mid-20s and handing them stuff. And they would say, what is this? He said, I just want to tell you about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No fear. So anyways, the power of the tongue. Let me get back to my point here. It would frustrate us sometimes because there is no fear. There is no thinking it through. And like, what were you thinking? I don't know. I don't think he was. I could go the route of death. I started realizing, Lord, this kid has no fear He needs to grow up and be a missionary. Go overseas. There's no fear. No concern. He's just going to walk in faith and trust the Lord's going to take care of it. So we've flipped it around now. Power of the tongue life. And when he does something, we say, just want to remind you. Pray it through. Seek the Lord. Let the Spirit lead. But at the same time, too, wow, you don't have any fear. God's going to use that later on in your life. And when you're a missionary overseas, can we come visit you? Because you have that no fear. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Just ask yourself this question real quick. When you get into trouble, did you cause it? Was it your own mouth? So often it's someone else's fault, right? That's what we think. And we say things like this. If they wouldn't have done it, I wouldn't have said it. You pushed me into it. No, according to this verse, when you open up your wide your lips, you're, you're going to have destruction. A fool opens their mouth and says anything. A wise man watches what they say. Proverbs 18.6, A fool's lips enter in contention. His mouth calls for blows. He's asking for it. That's how we would say it. And you know people that are just asking for it. We need to watch what we say. Let me keep repeating this point. Wisdom is knowing what to say, how to say it, when to say it, and even if to say it at all. Fool is, I'm just going to say whatever comes to my mind. Look at these words again in verses 11 through 15 about the words of a fool. Verse 11, it's like a serpent biting. Verse 11, it's like a babbler, depending on your translation there, babbling. Verse 12, the wise man, gracious. Fool's lips, swallowing people up. 
Raving madness, verse 13. Verse 14, multiplying the words, they just don't stop talking. Verse 15, fools weary people out. we got to watch what we say. If you want to get into further study on this, I cannot stress to you enough. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. A chapter devoted to the power of the tongue. And talks about how your tongue is so powerful. How it can build people up, tear people down, and it can be set on fire by hell itself. Watch what we say. The Bible repeatedly says, Old Testament and New Testament, a wise person, a mature person in the Lord, guards their mouth and tongue. One of the first tests of being wise and mature in the Lord is your tongue doesn't get you into trouble. And you see Solomon saying this as well. Have you got any quick questions, comments, or about anything here about fools, wisdom, watching what we say, the tongue, etc.? Marcus. Yes. You're talking about in Matthew 5, right? Yeah. Matthew chapter 5, where it talks about uh, verse 22, Raka. It um, literally means, I'm looking in my Bible here, it says empty headed. There's nothing up top. Yeah. What it is, he's talking about, he's got a great point here. It's in Matthew chapter 5, and it's verse 22. You don't need to uh, turn there. It says, I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his, um, whoever says to his brother Raka, which means empty-headed, shall be in danger of the council, but even goes one step further. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. So I guess if you're using your biblical cuss words, fool is the worst, Raka's right below that there. But yeah, it means empty-headed from what my Bible says. Anybody else have anything? So just be careful, please. Just be careful. Don't go into work tomorrow and get your kicks off saying, you know, that guy's a real fool. Okay? Because you know what you're saying, right? Just be careful with that. Don't let that be your go-to bad word type thing. But understand what the Bible is saying. Fool is one of the worst things that somebody could say about you there. All right. Moving on here. Speaking about foolishness, we talk about foolishness in our words. Now we're going to talk about foolishness in the land. Verse 16. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your prince feasts in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when the king is the son of nobles, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Because of laziness the building decays, and through the idleness of hands the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. Please note once again verse 19. Don't make that your life verse, okay? But it's biblical, James. Wine makes merry, and money answers everything. That's the verse I've been looking for. This is once again written from the perspective of a man looking at things under the sun, not from that heavenly perspective. He says foolishness is in words. And he says now in verses 16 through 19, foolishness also affects the land when you have a fool in leadership. It will eventually affect everything. Now be careful here, Christians. I got saved in 93. And I was so surprised when I got saved in 93. All these Christians that I look up to, love and respect, how they have no filter on their tongue when it comes to talking about political leaders. There's just none. And every four years when an election cycle comes around, we Christians start acting like the world. And we just got to remember this. We got to be careful. Yes, we want to elect good, godly men and women that will represent truth and righteousness. We live in a land where we're able to vote, and I encourage you to definitely do that. But at the same time, too, please remember just a couple passages here. First Timothy chapter 2 tells us to pray 
for our leaders. 1 Peter chapter 2 says we're supposed to honor our leaders. And Titus chapter 3 says speak evil of no one. Now that does not mean that you cannot say actions are wrong and evil, that those actions are not biblical. That is truth. But we've got to be careful when we start attacking people, when we start attacking individuals, where the Lord says, no, pray for them, honor, speak evil of no one. And we've got to be careful even when they're fools. And that, that may even be uh, governmental leaders. It may be bosses. Maybe people you work with. Just be careful. Why? Because look at verse 20. Do not curse the king, even in your thought. Do not curse the rich, even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Has that not ever happened to you, that you said something to somebody who you assumed would keep that private and confidential, and next thing you know, it's been spread around to everybody else? Maybe the best answer is just not to say Anything. Anything. One of my boys came up to me recently and asked me about a situation. And he asked a very private thing about a situation. And said, what's going on with this? And I said, how do you know about that? He goes, I don't know. I said, no, hold on a second. There's no way you know about that situation. How do you know about it? I don't know. Okay, let's lose the I don't know. How do you know about it? Well, I was, I was standing outside your bedroom door one time and I heard you and mom talking. I don't know why Dawn sends. I really don't. But uh, she obviously says things she shouldn't. And I look at this right here. A bird, like, do not curse the rich even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. You know, if you always watch what you say, you don't have to worry about what you say. I had a guy tell me one time, he goes, if I always speak the truth, I don't have to worry about it. And there's a lot of truth to that. So here we go in chapter 10. We, it's about wisdom versus foolishness. Right hand, wisdom, strength. Left hand, foolishness, wisdom. Foolishness is not watching what it says. Foolishness is our words get us into trouble. Foolishness is just problems. Wisdom is watching what we say, watching how we act. That is wisdom. So any final questions, comments here about wisdom versus foolishness? John. That's Satan. Yeah, that, uh, that's the book of Jude, where it says that Michael the archangel would not even bring a railing accusation against Satan. Uh, Michael the archangel said, I'll let the Lord rebuke him. Yeah. Yeah, Kathy. Uh, yeah. I love that. Lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your own hands as we commanded you. First Thessalonians 4.11. If you ever want to do a fun study, do a study on the word busybody in the uh, Bible. Um, we have a lot of busybodies. We have an opinion, and we feel our opinion needs to be heard. And we live in a multimedia age today where we can post anything we want online. And all of our opinions need to be warranted and heard. And really what the Bible says, I just go back to Job 38. Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? God says, your opinion is not needed nor wanted. He goes, I got this one taken care of. Just remember that, please. So, wisdom versus foolishness. Now, you've got to remember this book is written in one complete thought. So, even though we're starting a new chapter, it's still this idea of wisdom. But what is wisdom? Verse 1 of chapter 11. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. 
Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil would be on the earth. Cast your bread upon the water. Have you guys ever done this? Take the loaf of bread, go down to the reservoir, do something. You throw the bread in the water. It floats out for a while, and guess what happens? It comes right back. That's what it does. And when it comes right back, it comes back really soggy and gross. But it comes back. He's saying now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is generosity. See, we're getting toward the end of this book, and you see Solomon now start, starting to piece this together a little bit. Maybe wisdom isn't about me having 700 wives and 300 concubines. Maybe wisdom isn't eat, drink, and be merry. Maybe wisdom has a deeper meaning of what I'm supposed to be doing here. Can you go with me to 2 Corinthians, please, chapter 9? Maybe wisdom is about being generous. Maybe wisdom is about giving servings to seven and to eight, because I don't know what's good, I don't know what's bad, and I need to watch what I'm doing. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. There's a biblical word that Jesus used a lot in the Gospels, and it was called being a steward. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Steward just literally means manager, house manager. And the ongoing theme throughout the Bible is this. Whatever you have, whatever you own is not yours. If we really believe what the Bible says, that we're a bondservant of the Lord, that means that whatever I have and own, it's the Lord's. And this is something we try to live out. It's not my house. It's not my car. It's not my anything. It's, it's the Lord's. So therefore, let's open it up to wherever the Lord wants to use it for. Because I'm a steward. I just manage what God has given me. Now, that also goes down to our finances. It's not mine. It's the Lord's. And so therefore, I want to be generous in how I live and how I act. And I tell you, you know, when I first started teaching 20 years ago, anytime the subject of giving came up, I always thought, oh, man, I don't want to be misinterpreted in this. You know, I always thought, gosh, if I'm out here talking about giving, people are thinking that we're trying to fund some building project and we're going to put a little thermometer out in front of the church and do anything like that. No. And what happened was that I started thinking, oh, people are going to think I'm trying to push stuff. I don't. I don't know who gives what. I try to stay away from the money as much as possible. I have no idea who gives. I have no idea anything about that. I'm just telling you right now as your pastor, and as your brother in the Lord, be generous. God honors that. And I just when I say be generous, I mean the word generous. I don't mean treat God like an investment banker. I see too many ministries trying to promote that if you just plant a $100 seed gift... And this ministry, God will give you five times back. That's making an investment. And I say, I got a good rate of return. I can go to the bank and get 2% on my mutual fund or my CD, but this ministry will give me five times. No. Lord, I want to see the gospel spread. I want to invest in the things of the Lord. And I want to see fruit out of that because I'm focusing on eternity. Think back to what Jesus said in the Gospels. I'm going to invest in eternal things and heavenly things, not on things on this earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. When you stop and you say, Lord, I am a bondservant. The money's not mine. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to tithe off this. I'm going to give this to the Lord. God says, I can work with that. And as I say out here a lot, it's not that God wants your money. He just doesn't want you to want your money. And I encourage you to stop and say, Lord, am I trusting you even in my finances? I do a lot of financial counseling with people. And once we get through the initial, how much money do you have coming in? How much money do you have coming out? How are the bills? I usually ask them this. Do you tithe? And I say, listen, I'm not asking you to tithe because I want it. I have nothing to do with that. I'm telling you, here's the biblical principle of tithing. And God just completely, utterly honors it. 
He just really does. Verse 7, Now let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 7, you're not forced to do it. But I'm telling you, you're going to be blessed if you do it. Now just be careful once again. Well, if that's the case, I'm going to put my last remaining 20 in the box on the way out. I'm going to expect hundreds of dollars when I get home. No. Once again, that's treating God like an investment banker. You stop and you say, Lord, this is what you've called me to do. You've led me to do this, and this is what I'm going to do. It's not a have to. I'm not grudgingly doing this. It's not out of necessity or compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always have all sufficiency in all things, and may have an abundance for every good work. God just takes care of you. Just completely takes care of you. I shared this example uh, a couple months ago on a Sunday. I'll just give you the shortened version of it. A while ago, we were given a, a very nice gift from somebody, and at the time, we didn't need it. It was just... It was an extra money, and we're like, wow, Lord, thank you. So we decided we're going to invest this into a missionary. And so we said to contact this missionary. We said, hey, would you, could you be blessed by this? Here it is. They said, amen. And then wouldn't you know it, about a month later, we got some really big bills. Thousands and thousands of dollars of bills that we were not expecting in any way whatsoever. And all of a sudden, that gift that we had promised to the missionaries sounded really good. So in my deep time of faith, I called that missionary back up and said, Are you sure you need that gift? (laughs) I just, you know, oh, yeah, we're really going to be blessed by it. Okay, well, I can be blessed by it too. But, um, you know, you, you can use it. So we gave it to the missionary. Now, the Lord, through his infinite wisdom and sufficiency, took care of those bills. And before you think I'm just some crazy person that count count numbers, please remember, my degree is in finance. I can handle numbers. I, I can handle that. I still, to this day, do not know how the Lord took care of it, but he took care of those bills. Fast forward. Dawn and I then, here we're going to get ready to go on a little mini missions trip with our family up uh, to Dearborn to do some outreach to the Muslims. All of a sudden, somebody contacts us and gives us the exact same amount of money that we gave away. That's just the Lord. And so when it says right here that he's able to give you all sufficiency in verse 8, book of Proverbs says, guess what? I've never seen the righteous suffer for bread. The Lord will meet our needs. He'll take care of us. And how is he going to take care of us? Verse 9, he has dispersed abroad. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Increase the fruits of your righteousness, not increase the fruits of your house. He's not promising you cars, boats, and mansions. Increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. And then as you are blessed, all of a sudden you're blessing God more, and you're thanking the Lord more, and it's this cycle that just keeps on repeating. I just want to encourage you with that. When it comes to doing your budgets and running your numbers and doing the figures, wow, really understand what it means when you give to the Lord. So with that being said, back to chapter 11, verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. He observes the wind will not sow. He regards the clouds shall not reap. You read those verses and you're like, Lord, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of this. Verse 3, clouds are full of rain. They empty themselves. What's the purpose of a full cloud of rain? To give rain. That, that's the purpose of it. If you're in the midst of a drought as a farmer and you saw these huge black clouds coming and you, and you heard the thunder and you saw the lightning and the wind picked up and you're like, thankfully, finally, and this huge storm comes over you and doesn't drop a single drop of rain, there'd be an issue. The Lord is saying, you are clouds full of rain. Empty yourself. It's not about you collecting more. It's about you giving more. It's about you stopping and saying, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about that generosity. 
Proverbs 19 says this, that when you give to the poor, you're actually giving to God, and God repays you. That's the way it's kind of looked at right there. Purpose of full clouds is to drop rain. But the problem is if you're constantly watching trees where they're going to fall, observing wind, verse 4, watching clouds, verse 4, guess what? You're not sowing. You're not reaping. If you're constantly watching your finances because it's your money and watching the bank account grow or the bank account shrink or you're watching this or that, the Bible says you're not going to sow or reap. You're not going to have anything spiritual because the only thing you're focusing on is you, what you have, what you got, what you've earned, what you've lost. It's not about our finances. It's about the Lord. So what are we supposed to do about them? Verse 5, as you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. I don't get it, Lord. It doesn't make any sense. The other day, I, I you know, got my uh, paycheck out here. I get paid once a month out here at church. So I went to the bank the other day, took care of that, brought home the money. And so 10% to the Lord. And I happened to be in the kitchen. And so I, I took out my walks I just got from the bank. And I'm, and I'm setting aside, you know, the money. We use what we call the envelope system. And so we have different money set aside for different things. And all my boys just happened to be in the kitchen. And so I take out my wallet. I'm taking the money out. And they're like, Dad, that's a lot of money. And it's like, I know your dad's rich. He is completely loaded, and you don't get any of it when, you, when I die. I just want to let you know that. No, I said, let's, let's just talk about this, guys. I said, boom, right here, this pile. That's God's, right off the top. Okay, this pile right here. This is your entertainment money right here. It goes in this envelope marked entertainment. So when we're out and you say, can I have chicken nuggets? I say, sure, let me check the budget. Dad, can we get a special drink? Sure, let me check the budget. But when the money's gone, it's gone, guys. So therefore, this is what we have set aside for the month for entertainment. And if we want to go use this all week one, we can use it all week one. But guess what? For the next three weeks, guys, there are no chicken nuggets and there are no special drinks. This money right here is for mom. This is the money I give to mom because she needs to take care of you guys. So this is her budget. And then Kenan says, yeah, but mom doesn't work. I said, I know she doesn't work, but we still got to support her. So she right here, (laughs) this is her money that she gets right here. And so, and I showed him the envelope system, and I said, this is where God's money goes, this is where the entertainment money goes, this is where mom's money, and, I, and I'm hoping that they're seeing this is how it works. And I'm going to tell you right now, I look at verse 5, the way the bones grow, the way the wind works, etc. I like weather, I understand a little bit how the wind works, I understand a little bit of the science of how the bones grow. But I'm telling you right now, it is an absolutely fascinating concept that I start the beginning of the month giving away 10 plus percent of what I make and God still meets all my needs. It's just an amazing thing. So what am I supposed to do? Verse 6, in the morning sow your seed, in the evening do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. That's just a good verse. I think it's a good verse when it also comes to sharing your faith. I'm going to share, sow the seed in the morning. I'm going to sow the seed in the evening. I'm going to have as many spiritual conversations as I can all day. I don't know which ones are going to work. I don't know which ones aren't going to work. Sometimes I've had great spiritual conversations with people, and like, they're going to accept Christ, never hear another thing. Other times I have spiritual conversations with people thinking that didn't go anywhere, and next thing you know, they're born again and saved. I am job is to scatter the seed in the evening, scatter the seed in the morning. I don't know which one will prosper. I just give it over to the Lord. And the last thought of this lesson here, verses 7 and 8, Truly the light is sweet, it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. That's a transition verse to what we're going to talk about next week when we finish up the book of Ecclesiastes. What he's basically saying is this, listen, there's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days. 
Be prepared for both. They are coming. If you're in a good season right now, rejoice. Rough times are coming. doesn't mean that God's not good. He says, I'm teaching you in these rough times. If you're in a rough season right now, rejoice. Good times are coming in the Lord because the Lord is good and does good. You've got to remember that. I, I remember on the day of my wedding, last thing I'll say, 21 years ago, I was driving out to the church and my dad was in the car with me and we were about a mile from the church and I said, Dad, do you have any advice on marriage? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, when it's bad, it won't be bad forever. When it's good, it won't be good forever. That's some pretty straightforward advice on, on marriage. There's some rough times in marriage, but it will get better. There's some good times in marriage. There's going to be some rough times. Understand that there. Without even knowing it, I think he was quoting Ecclesiastes 11, 7, and 8. So, this takes us into next week where we finish up the book of Ecclesiastes. So that's 8 o'clock. Um, some of you have a lot of little kids in the back. So, we need to let you guys go to go get that. So, hey, let's uh, stand here for prayer as we finish up. Lord, the word of tonight seems to be wisdom. Help us to walk in wisdom and not foolishness in all that we do and all that we say. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. Um, help us to live it. Not just talk about it, Lord, but to truly live it. Wisdom in all of our conversations. Lord, if there's a foolishness in us, in the name of Jesus, reveal that. Take that from us. And help us to be wise in all of our interactions. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all you do. And Lord, I also want to lift up the Jackson family as well, too, is asking for prayer with the uh, premature birth of some of their kids, uh, your hand of health to be upon them in all ways and all things. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Hey, you guys have a good week. God bless. If you've got anything you want to pray about, I'll be up here, and we'll see you guys next week.